just we, Coach Ogeron. Hey, baby, I'm Coach O, bitch. And now that was uh, that was some French saying I am Coach O. Is uh, he's gonna be talking about the the micro and the macro, and uh, you know the, the difference. I mean, they got the you know you specialize and you look real close, you know, and the, the internals and all that. You got your micro and the macro. You know, you got the big picture. You know, you got the forest instead of them individual trees and all. I mean, that remind me of that movie Forrest Gump, baby. A good movie, uh, your boy. You know, um, when we talk about, um, you know, they were like, you two, you two cousins? No, we are not related. You know, that was funny because your boy didn't understand that, that joke Lieutenant Dan said, you know, sarcasm and all. But anyway, you know, you can get caught up too much in them, uh, them details and you can't see the big picture, baby. And then also, when you got, when you only look at the big picture, you don't see them little bitty details, you know, so, it's like, uh, with many things in life, you gotta have a balance. You gotta have, like, a yin and a yang. You know what I'm saying? You gotta have, like, a, uh, a Mike Dicker and, uh, and that, that, that boy, uh, what his name was, you know, over there, he went over there, the Eagles, and then he had that, and them two fat kids, uh, Ryan, you know, yeah, like Ryan, baby. You know, you have that, that, that balance, you know, and then you win the Super Bowl. But then you get too far alignment, and then you, uh, and then you screwed, you know, then you're like them Saints, and it was all offense and no defense, you know what I mean? You gotta have that balance, baby. Like them Jedi, baby. Can't be too dark, can't be too light. You know what I'm saying? But I'm Coach O, bitch. Listen to that there, Anchor, and go Tigers. You ever been micromanaged before? I have. Once. It's a harrowing feeling. It's hard to get out of bed in the morning. Weekends aren't the same. It's an absolute mess. But micromanagement goes way outside of your profession in which you may think it is. You can micromanage a restaurant if you do that. You can micromanage a locker room if you're a coach. You can micromanage a political campaign. You can micromanage your poker stack, actually. You can even micromanage a relationship. And hell, you can even do it to your kids. But if you micromanage any of the things I just said, you will fail, full stop, period. You're gonna micromanage anything, micromanage the macro things in your life. And if you can do this, it's my opinion, you'll be successful in just about anything. Don't believe me? Good. Stick around, Chief. system for a while, you know, there's a finite amount of memory. You can't use it for everything. We're gonna compile for half an hour. Go ahead, all of you. Approaching the Tyrannosaur paddock. Welcome to the Sports Antelope episode number 102, Micro Your Macros, not your micros. We've got a good show coming for you today. I've been waiting for this one. Still haven't seen Top Gun, but sing it, Kenny. Top Gun just came out and apparently got more stars than every general in the history of the United States military. One of my woke friends went and saw it and was like, yeah, it's okay. That's like 15 stars coming from him. It was incredible. There's no way to get around it. And I was told from a reliable source there is some homoerotic sessions in the locker room. You're probably wondering why. Because it's important that it's there. You keep the theme no matter what the times are now. Please, please just keep that there. Anyway, that sounds weird enough. Golden State plays the Celtics coming up here in this championship. I have a few comments on that one. They're taking away your handguns now. It's low-hanging fruit. They're trying to, at least. I'm going to have to touch base on that. And I have a question 
Someone needs to ask Kamala Harris. Vice President Harris, I have a question. We need to ask it. I'm going to tell you what it is. You'll probably agree. You can micromanage just about anything. The examples I gave earlier, and I have one from each basket, which somehow I think, I think, will tie in at the end. If it all adds up, let's see. Carry the one divided by three. It's still zero, but that's okay. It's okay. Bro Exotic is on the show today. He is talking about monkeypox and how it's racist and homophobic, of course. Uh, what, what else could we expect besides that? Tommy Bench is uh, running for office right now, literally. <laughs> I think he's out campaigning, hitting the trail like a Mormon with a backpack. Probably too hot to wear a tie right now, but, you know, we're wishing him well in his ventures out there as he is fighting the Lord's fight, good old-fashioned Republican seat. <laughs> In some Texas thing, he's got him. So I, I know what it is, but I don't want to. I don't want to get him canceled. If anybody's true identity comes out, it, it can't be Tommy Pinch. <laughs> he's the. He's gonna save the world one day. Now me, I'm just bringing it all down one episode at a time, right? So let's just kick this off with Golden State and Boston. Man, I gotta tell you, Eric Spolstra. <laughs> I've said this before. The head coach for the Miami Heat. I mean, look who the Heat have on that team. Your best player is a 32-year-old whose best days are behind him. Jimmy Butler is still a baller. He saw what he did in game six, dropped a 50-burger on Boston. I mean, he can still go, but you can't expect Jimmy Butler to do that uh, week in and week out anymore, right? He's still explosive, but he's still a little inconsistent, turns the ball over, plays defense when he wants, but he's still a very good player. But the Boston Celtics have literal superstars, plural, on the other side. Their bench is deeper, and this went all the way, all seven rounds in this fight and I mean man Boston blows a lead and Jimmy Butler misses an open three in the waning seconds of the game and if he hits that three I, mean, I gotta think they're gonna win which financially would have not been good for Danny Belts I have Boston to win the whole damn thing win the whole fucking thing there's only one thing left to do I should have played that Taylor line from Major League but that's okay I did a good enough impression so Spolster is just ridiculous, and we just talked about him a few weeks ago, and I think two weeks, and I mean, the guy is just incredible. I don't know how he does it, but man, they almost went back to the finals with way, way less talent. No one's going to argue that, right? Don't tell Tyler Hero, really? No. I mean, Boston's legitimately loaded, and this is going to be a series, and it is going to be a great series for so many reasons. Uh, I do think the Celtics are going to make their way out of here to give you a quick bird's eye view on this. The line opens up three and a half. Boston travels across the country to go to Oracle. It's the hardest place to play in the NBA the last almost decade, really, especially when Curry is healthy and Thompson and the like. When they had Durant, it was kind of the cheat code, but only a three and a half point favorite. To put things to perspective, people were really high on Memphis. Memphis opened up as a nine and a half point dog the first time they went back to Golden State out, you know, uh, when they first went out to Golden State prior to coming back to Memphis. And then in game five, another huge, huge dog. A lot of respect here for Boston, rightfully so. Boston, the two seed, was heavily favored to beat Miami from the money line, uh, as well as most of the games. They were favored nearly every game and favored in the series. And I think you have here, you have two completely different ball clubs run completely different offenses. And I think it's going to come down to one simple thing. If Boston can continue to get these mid-range shots off this low. It's not really a pick and roll, but if they can continue to get these open 15-footers, which they make uh, an abundance of, 
And if they can somehow key in 35% from three, they don't even shoot that well from three, their defense will take care of a lot. And there will be significant matchup issues for them up top. Marcus Smart has done a great job on Steph Curry in his career. The reigning defensive player of the year. I don't like Marcus Smart, but he is a big attribute to that team. And Horford, as much as I don't like him, is a defensive power down low, particularly in these fourth quarters when he just turns it on. I don't know why he shoots threes, though. Him and Josh Smith and this cancerous Hawks team just choked their COVID on everybody. (coughs) We can shoot threes, too. (coughs) It's the Rasheed Wallace virus, I call it. And it's just... You know, you're the biggest, strongest guy on the court, and you feel like you have to heave up, you know, 26-footers because you're looking at a bunch of other guys that can stop it. He's career, like, 31%. I think he banked one in and was pounding his chest going, just stop. But I feel that Boston's going to steal game one. I think if you're going to bet this game, wait till the tip. You'll probably get four, maybe even four and a half. You may even want to buy it to four and a half. Three and a half and four and a half is such a huge thing in the NBA. If the game is close, you can escape and still cover if indeed they're down by two and they foul. Golden State hits two free throws, and you're still a half a possession up with the point there, the half a point, in my opinion. Um, but you don't want to gamble too much with that money line. I think if you were going to do this, you take Boston in the points, and you could probably look for them to lose game two. I think this is going all seven games. I really do. And I think Boston steals one at some point here. If it doesn't go seven, I think Boston in six or Boston in seven. That's not the popular consensus amongst the wokes, as far as the wokes go, the touts. I don't think anyone can cover the perimeter with Steph Curry. Yeah, we'll see. But that's my take on that. So I do think Boston's going to take this one, and I am going to be betting them tomorrow. I'm just waiting for this line to get a little more sexy. So we did have that tragedy, another school shooting. It's horrible. Now, I could hit you with so much data on what a mass shooting is and all these talking points that are floating around out there. So rather than just kill you with that, oh wait, that was the wrong, (laughs) rather than just uh, fluff you up with all that stuff, I'll just cut right to the chase. Kamala Harris is very interesting. The sitting vice president has openly been against the police when she campaigned for president. She was the loudest voice of defund the police running for president. Okay, this isn't just getting reelected in some woke state out west. This is You really, one of your platforms is to defund the police. They asked Joe Biden about it. He was smart enough to kind of go, yeah, you know, the police, man. Anyway, I remember my son when he was at war. You know, he just kind of dances around. But, like, no one wants to do this, right? So you take that and then her just, just instant ability to just take any tragedy like this and not waste it. Now, the Democrat Party is really good at this. Now, I'll be objective as I can here, but they do not waste a tragedy ever. Now, if you want to talk about all the kids getting shot every single day, I even got into this with my wife. She tried to make the argument that I was wrong. I was like, what's the difference between 21 people getting shot in one day in a school or 21 kids getting shot in 21 days in 21 different cities? Death is death. It's over. So it's just as horrible, but we just don't talk about the latter. We talk about the former because we want to take the guns away. I could get into history as a whole and what has happened to society when governments start doing this. I could give you 20 of those, but I won't. I'm sure most of you know the low-hanging fruit there as well. But Kamala Harris also goes on now with the president about we need to get rid of handguns as well. Um, And that is where the rubber hits the road. And I'm just waiting for some reporter. Maybe I should email Peter Ducey. As someone just to ask this simple question, it kind of goes a little something like this. Vice President Harris, I noticed that during your campaign and even as vice president, as you, in your failing campaign for president, as you 
were ninth in the Iowa caucus. I'd have to throw that in. I'm sorry, I would. Uh, as you were ninth, ninth <laughs> in the Iowa caucus in your own party, clearly doesn't like you. Uh, one, of your, one of your major platforms was to defund the police, which is an unbelievably stupid idea. That aside, I see you also want to take away, now not just, quote, assault rifles, end quote, but also pistols or any sidearm. So my question is, if you don't want the police to protect us and we can't protect ourselves, are you going to protect us? I would ask it just like that. Just like that. That is not a gotcha question. That is a question that is very objective from what she has said, okay, and what she has done. And I'm applying her words to a very, very realistic situation. Because if you remove the police and my gun, you or the criminals going to show up and say, yeah, here's my nine, bro. No. No, the white trash, you think they're giving up? No, no one's giving it up. So I'm just waiting for someone to ask her that low-hanging pinata question. So you just bust that thing wide open because it, it keeps me up at night <laughs> listening to her, what she says, how she says it, and then no one, no one asks these questions. It just drives me insane. You know, speaking of micro, your macro, right? Well, someone needs to micro her ass. Because that is a looser cannon than the president, and that is a huge statement. Now, you don't know what she's going to say. When she starts cackling and when she gets into laugh mode, that's her personal trigger. She doesn't know how to answer. the. Whenever the, whenever the Democrat – if I was like one of her advisors and she started like laughing, I would like fake something happening. I'd fake a fire drill or a bomb threat because whatever she says after that is going to be uncalculated, extremely vacuous, and absolutely irrelevant to whatever point is being made every single time. So it, it, someone needs to ask her that question because I'm genuinely concerned. If you want my pistol and there's no cops, then how do I protect myself? I think it's fair. Do you? Oh, I certainly do. So micro your macro. So we've all had that micro manager. Let me just tell you about my experience real quick. Man, I had one of the worst managers in North America at one point in my life. This was years and years ago. And she was from New Jersey. She would come down to my territory. She would dress inappropriately. This is not how you want to do things down here. And just completely micro everything I did. I'm talking, you get out of a meeting, call you, how'd it go? What happened? Did you get the deal? I couldn't even say anything. What did you, what, what, well, let's think, let's talk about it. Like, this is crazy talk. Like my manager now does this perfectly, right? If I need something, I call him. If he can't get back to me, he gets back to me ASAP. When he sees something that needs to be isolated in a micro fashion, he does it in a very regimented, professional manner, and he's right 99.9% .9 of the time. When he chooses to do that with me, he picks his spots and he's right. I know he doesn't listen to this show. I'm glad. But he does this the right way because what my manager does is he micros from up top the macro things that are important so the trickle down doesn't get to the ground level. Because once you're microing at the micro level, you've already lost. You've already lost. One of the big pushbacks I get from my customers is, or my prospects, is what if I need it now? It being a widget, a fidget, a digit, whatever. What if I need it now? Through our program, you can't get it now, right? It takes a couple days. And my answer is, if you need it now, you're already screwed. It's over. Like, you're, I, it, you're done. So I don't actually say it like that, but... Once you get down to the bottom level in the micro world, you've already lost. There's no argument. There. There's no counterpoint. There's nothing you can say intellectually that even would move me off that rock for a second. 
because I've seen it with my own two eyes in so many different ways, so many different situations, and the outcome is always the same every single time. I told this story a year and a half ago. I'm going to tell it again. We have a lot of new listeners. I love getting into poker, as you know. I love getting into gambling. It's kind of a gambling podcast, but I love getting into restaurants because I worked in restaurants for a long time in every single aspect except for management because I would be the worst manager on the planet. But my wife and I, when she's pregnant, we go out to eat at this local chain down here in Louisiana. It's more regional now. It's Copeland's, and Al Copeland is the father of Popeye's Fried Chicken. I'm sure you've heard of that. He was a restauranteer, controversial figure down here. I always loved him. I always liked him. Good dude, shook his hand a couple. Good dude, good, solid dude. Shook his hand a couple times. No, like, no, no beef with him. He's since passed away. His kids, different story. Sure, he's fine. He's good. Okay, sure. <laughs> he's, he's, I, I got to stop doing that. I'm sorry. Every time. The drunk neighbors, Mad Dog Russo is so funny. It makes me, <laughs> sure, he's good. He's no Ray Kroc. <laughs> so, and I go into the restaurant with my wife. And it's a Wednesday night, it's raining outside, and for some reason in the South, no one goes outside when it rains. It's, it's crazy. You want to get something done, go grocery shopping during the rain. You'll be, in the, you'll be in the store by yourself. Be like a zombie apocalypse, whole place to yourself. Well, the place is jammed. It is jammed. And if you heard the story before, you're going to hear it again. But I'm going to tell it a little more prone, not prone, but more text to the fashion in which this podcast is going today, so you'll like it. So... I'm looking around, and I'm pretty sure I'm drunk again at this point, right? Like, all the time. And, but I still, even through my drunken nature, could kind of see what was happening in about 15 Mississippi. So the hostess is nowhere to be found. That's a bad sign. The bartenders aren't behind the bar. That's a worse sign, because now your service bar is getting backed up along with the customers at the bar. Something's happening here. There's a lot of service staff running around, and I already know what happened. People, there's managers running around. They're putting out fires. Somebody walked out of the kitchen. I'm going to say a dishwasher and somebody on saute or grill. One of the three, probably not. Two of the three for sure, maybe all three. If you want to kneecap a restaurant, have a dishwasher walk out. I've said this before. That is a kneecapper. I'm talking crowbar to the kneecap. Now you're pulling someone off that line. To go wash the dishes. They don't do it as well as the dishwasher. You can't turn the dishes or the silverware, right? Stuff's unpolished. It's, it literally is the heart of a restaurant is the dish pit. I'm telling you. Well, the dishwasher did walk out and somebody from the other line, the, the line on where they cook did walk out as well. I don't know if it was grill or saute, but it wasn't garmage. I'll tell you that. It was something pretty important, right? And I'm watching this go down and I'm watching the hostess completely bomb out as she explains this to people. I'm watching managers do what they're not supposed to be doing. And then I see this guy in a tie kind of clearing tables and barking at people. And he was younger than me. And it took everything in me not to walk up to him and say, stop it. Stop this. Stop it. He's the general manager. right? We've done, I've talked about this, but I'm going to do it again. That means you do not. I generally manage. No, you manage like a general. You are the general of this place. You manage down. We don't have, you know, um, Patton in a foxhole over here. You need your generals back here, right? Like Cornwallis was. And you need him managing the war from a bird's eye view. And this was a war, make no mistake. And this guy is trying to do the right thing, but he's microing these micros inside the micro when he is missing the macro picture by a mile. 
My wife told me, please don't say anything. I, I mean, it was like I was shaking. Get your shit together, man. Like, if you need to get on the phone right now and start calling people, get someone to come in here and cook at double time. And instead, he's trying to clear tables to get people to sit, and now he's really going about it the wrong way because now you're going to have people sit down. They're going to yelp you to death. The service is going to be terrible. They're going to wait an hour for their food. The food's going to be terrible. It's going to be cold, right, or vastly undercooked, one of the two, burned, undercooked, cold. Um, you know, you pick. If anything, they should be turning people out of the restaurant in the interim. You should be explaining, hey, guys, we had a lot of people walk out today. We can barely facilitate the capacity we have now. If you sit down, you're going to have a bad dining experience. I suggest the Olive Garden or whatever down the street. That's how you do that, right? But no, they kept sitting people down. And my wife's like, well, I'm like, we're not eating here. <laughs> we're not, there's no way we're eating here. All right, we're going to Zia's. I got a lot of weight over there. But, I mean, that is an example of this guy not getting on that throne getting on top of that hill and start to get this back in line. And you don't do that as the general manager by microwing a busboy at a table, period. You just don't. You don't have your bartender, like on a chessboard. Your bartender is like a very important piece, like a rook. You don't have your rook in the middle of the table four or five moves into the game, right? Your bartender is exposed in the middle just like a rook would be. You need to get this in line. It was driving me, and still drives me nuts. God, <laughs> could have given that dude a favor after two bottles of Merlot. But, but in any event, you know, this is just something in a restaurant that I've seen, and this happens all the time. Whether you micro from the bottom and how that happens, the adverse effect that it'll have on your staff, you kill momentum no matter what level you do this at, and it is an absolute disaster. Coaching poll recently came out. I don't know if you guys follow this. They rate the top 65 coaches in the P5, okay? And this was an interesting one. So Jed Fish, the coach of Arizona, was named 61st, even though he just had a really good recruiting class, and we like Arizona. L.A. Burns is on Arizona week one. They have something to pay back to San Diego State. I'm taking the five and a half. I'll tell you that now. Oh, yeah. But that aside, how can you – decipher this number like this, this metric how do you come up with a metric for who's the worst go- like how he came there last year it was a dumpster fire yeah he came from the patriots well he had cam newton i'm not sure if jc of nazareth could figure out what to do with cam newton water to wine no problem make cam newton a pure passer sorry can't do it just can't do it i mean it's impossible guys he's cam newton so in this instance he would be looked at as one of the worst. Now, it's funny because when I was reading about what made these guys so low, it's only going to inspire the hell out of them. That's all they're going to do is try to really stick you with this now, which is good for me. But I couldn't help but notice that Texas Tech coach was right after him. He was 62. Texas Tech's coach, Joe McGuire, gets kind of, uh, you know, kind of gets shit on by the media a lot for a lot of different reasons. And they talked about him being a mic. I'm telling you, hit me up. I'll send you the article. They said he's a micromanager. Really? Really? Interesting. Hmm. Well, let's see what he did in the offseason. Joey McGuire hired Zach Kitley. Remember him? He was the offensive coordinator at Houston Baptist with Zappi. They were a package deal that went to Western Kentucky. He was making 80000 at Houston Baptist, 200000 at Western Kentucky, and this guy just paid him $3.1 million for four years to come call the plays for a reputable school in the Big 12. He's 29 years old. Congratulations 
to Zach Kittley. Does that sound like a micromanager? That sounds macro AF. You're bringing in a kid to the P5 who only had one year in FBS with Western Kentucky, and you could even say it was because of his quarterback who broke every record under the sun. So automatically, you see how this happens within our own sports media. So you're going to tell me he's a micro, but yet he brings in a kid. No, you're wrong. What this guy is going to do is manage this kid from the top. He's going to address micro issues probably from the top of the mountain. Because again, once you get to the bottom and you notice this, you've already lost. There's just no time for that. But it gets even better. Right ahead of him in the 63 spot is Jake Dockert. Jake Dockert's up there at Washington State. You know how I feel about Washington State, right? They also called him a micro... (laughs) Oh, yeah, the micromanager that just brought in Cam Ward and the guy from Incarnate Word, Eric Morris, to come call the plays and give him exactly what Saban did to Lane Kiffin. People think Saban's a micro man. I hear that. I'm like, what are you talking about? Saban is the example of microing the macro when he has to. He had a kid from the playbook and said, figure it out. And they won a bunch of games and championships until they didn't. So Docker does this. He gets shit on. <laughs> and I just have to read this. Like, do you guys, is this how lazy you are? Why do I know more than you? I work 70 hours a week. And I do expense reports for three hours on Saturday. Like, what? what, what <laughs> how do I know more than you? It's horrible. It's lazy. But we clearly see how this happens, too, within the sports media, where they just put out this stupid poll, and now they're just making assertions. I just had to bring this up because it couldn't be more opposite, all right? It just can't be. It's going to work out for both these guys, and I've read a lot about them, and they are not micromanagers. But I'll tell you who was. Now, this fruit is way beyond the lowest hanging, but if you didn't know, some of you may not. Most of you do. If you're an LSU fan, you absolutely know. But Ogeron, that was his big problem at Ole Miss. Three losing seasons. They didn't even go to a bowl game. They lost to a couple lesser teams outside the P5. It was an embarrassment. But there were times when Coach O was literally yelling at special teams coach. This is documented. Yelling at special teams coaches, okay, in special teams meetings that he would interrupt. Now, let me explain something to you. I have never put the pads on. I've never actually played football. But I'll tell you right now, if you're getting that deep into a, if you're getting that micro and you're going to micromanage that on that level, boy, you haven't just, you're you're DOA, dead man walking, you're fired because it's a dumpster fire. If you can't see that from up top because you're not there, this is how that happened. This is exactly how this happens. He brings in Dan Warner, 2006, to be the offensive coordinator. It was his first year. as the offensive coordinator. And there's this one thing where Coach O is going over a certain formation that they can't get right as he's yelling at these special teams. And it's just like, what you hired these guys. You hired them. Let them do their job. But to approach something so minute, you are missing the boat by a mile, Coach. Coach, we're getting our ass kicked 56 to 10. I'm pretty sure it's not because of a punt formation. Coach, I'm pretty sure it's not because of our inability to identify the nickelback on our third long packages that you're crushing Werner. I'm pretty sure we just suck because you have failed. Because you're microwing this micro bullshit 
instead of getting into the real things that matter at the top. Fix it at the top, won't hit the bottom. Pretty simple. We see this not only in coaching, we see this in politics. Look what's happening right now with Hillary Clinton. Her former campaign manager, Robbie Mook, okay, just basically got up under oath and testified that the entire Russian dust, the entire thing was made up by their side under oath. I don't know how this isn't national news. Go look it up. Google it. I read a book on Robbie Mook called Shattered. He ran the worst campaign of all times. They didn't listen to Podesta, Clinton's guy, when they should have. He was a ground gang guy, knock on doors, kiss babies. Mook wanted to run a political campaign through Instagram, Facebook, and celebrities. How did that work out? Instead of going to Pennsylvania, they sent Jay-Z and Beyonce. Instead of going to Ohio, they sent LeBron James. Go look at it. And they lost both states, and that's why they lost the election. But in this instance, I don't want to focus too much on that side, the Trump administration. I don't think there's ever been a guy that managed the macro as well as Donald Trump. The macro being the big four, right? Foreign policy, unemployment, the economy, and the border. Those are typically the big four. The border was under control better than we've ever had it. Our foreign policy, say what you want. I I won't even go down that road. It was pretty legitimate. The economy's booming. Unemployment was under 4% in an organic fashion. These things were all there. But on a micro level, you see the insanity of President Trump because he had more turnover in the first year, first year, than most guys would have in eight years. I mean, Obama... He had like five or six. Trump fired like nine people in 16 months. He thought he was like having his reality show in real life. I don't know. But it was just this never-ending constant wave of firings. And I just remember thinking, man, you're so good at this, but you're so bad at this. You're horrible. Because this comes back to you, Trumpster. You can't manage. You cannot be the POTUS and be worried about a special teams formation or why you can't identify a nickelback in a third and 13. You keep getting picked off on a slant. I mean, you got to have guys in there that you hired to make those calls. You have to be able to have faith in them and you manage them from the mountain, not from the ground. Because when you get down to the ground as the president of the United States, while you're down there, well, the cats, what they say about the, the, while the cat's away, the mice are going to play. You're missing the big picture. Donald Trump, that is my biggest beef with him, is on the ground level. He walked around there way too much when his ass should have never been down there. I tell him that to his face. Of course, he get well, okay, whatever belts. You're a loser. Probably so. Maybe. I, don't, I have no idea. But I know right now, looking at this administration, I, I don't even know how to call it. But certainly for Donald Trump, this guy missed a lot. And because of that... I think it actually may have cost him on the back end, especially during the COVID, which I could do a whole thing on that, but he mismanaged a lot. And I feel that had he just stayed on top of that mountain and managed down like a Nick Saban does, then I think he may have avoided a lot of the pitfalls that he dug himself and then jumped right into his own hole. You know, it's funny because Coach O and Trump remind me a lot of each other. You know, they both simultaneously let go in 2019. And 
one had the greatest year, but I mean, 2019 was the Super Bowl of all years, really, for everything that he was macroing, and the best year LSU's ever had in the history of football program. And then they both go back to what they did before. It's there's a lot of comparisons there, and you could argue that no, I don't know, you don't know what you're talking about. I, I do, but to get into those would would take a lot more time than I wanted. But Coach O did let all that go, and that's what happened. They won the national championship, and then he reverted back to some of the stuff he used to do. And this was a big pitfall. COVID did not help, but don't tell Alabama that. When they came in here and scored 42 points in the first half, which was absolutely out 49, just outrageous. But, you know, I digress. But clearly you can see examples of when managers, coaches, or even general managers, they come down and they're not supposed to do that. On a chessboard, there's a reason why that king, all right, is the most powerful piece on the table, but yet when he's on offense or defense, can't really do much. A king can only move one space in any direction, but the queen can move as many spaces as she wants in any direction. And there's a reason why when people start moving around that queen, it stays close to that king. My point is that when you're the king, you only want to take one or two steps to the side. You really don't want to move out to the playing field is what I'm trying to say. And you could probably give me some instances of when it's been applicable, but for this show's purpose, I'm going to tell you I don't think it is. And you can agree to disagree or or what have you. But when I look at this as a whole, of course, we have to talk about poker just a little bit. But when I am sizing up the table, I talked about last week, I talk about I'm looking at their hands and not their, their cards, their hands. Are they calloused, right? Are they a working man? Are they married, right? Do they have kids? This is going to affect the way they play. I know it. I exploit it all the time. But one thing that I really like to get in when I am managing my money from a macro level, I still micro the macro things I have to do. When I start looking at some certain stupid details, I am missing something else. I am missing way better information that someone else could be giving me that I can pick up on with what I have going on right now. But instead, I'm focused on nickels and dimes instead of the real stuff that, stuff that really matters. One thing that is huge that I see is people are so stingy with their money in certain situations and so loose with it in the ones that just don't matter. So let me get this straight. You're going to be tight with your money in situations where you have the position to win, but you're going to be really loose in the positions that you don't. How the hell does that work? I mean, it's the, I see the craziest things, the way people micro their money. And then from the top, they do whatever they want. And it's like, well, you wonder why you just lost $200 in 45 minutes. And I'm watching them do this going, don't worry. You're counting your chips constantly. Yeah, you're down to $87. I can count them too. And those are going to be mine really soon. <laughs> the stuff you're doing is just ridiculous. I manage mine perfectly. The stacks I manage when I get them up to where they are or whatever, typically I'm going to win. I make sure that everything I do from a macro level is looked at close but from the top. Because the minute I get away from that, and this has happened to me before, or I go on tilt, or the nefarious car I talked about felts me in Vicksburg for $1,600 and does it again for $1,300 next month in Jackson. If I let that stuff get to me and go on tilt, I'll start from the bottom. I'll give away everything. I know it. I've already done it. To stick to the coaching point and my main purpose here, a lot of Saints fans listen to this podcast because we are here in New Orleans, and the Saints have walked into a very interesting situation with Dennis Allen. Dennis Allen has a lot in common with Donald Trump's situation. Dennis Allen has a lot in common with Coach O. A lot. Personalities aside, (coughs) 
<clears throat> the coaching styles, mm, maybe, maybe not, leadership styles, but the situation warrants a comparison for a lot of reasons. If you don't know who Dennis Allen is, he got on the map a while ago. He left the Saints to go coach over there at Oakland, and he had two problems at Oakland. One, himself. Two, Al Davis. <laughs> it's tough to win under a senile, crazy billionaire, right? It's it just impossible. Al Davis is crazy. You know, Darius Haywood Bay, Jamarcus Russell, just bust, bust, bust. Just this guy is nuts. Also acting general manager, who is the definition of a micro general manager. I mean, he was insane. I mean, there's stories. I have so much. Oh, the stories about this guy are just nuts. But the point I'm trying to make is that over there, Allen reminded me a lot of Coach O. He still tried to do things on a level as the head coach of Oakland where although he couldn't have success because of his employer, he did not help himself. And he even admitted that. And in his second press conference, he talked about that. I could not find it on YouTube. Hours of press conference. I could not find it. I would have played it in the beginning. But he said he learned a lot from failing at Oakland. That statement is prolific. Not from not winning at Oakland. Not from, well, you know, Al did. No, I learned a lot from failing at Oakland. That statement right there is all I need to know about this man. Then he goes into how he got way too low with the lows, right? Not just I'm talking about the swings of the wins and losses. I'm talking about the micros again. And he said things could have been, quote, things could have been managed better up top. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Those are his words. I will find that guy. I'll find that thing and play it. I, don't, I should have spent another hour going through all this stupid New Orleans questions they ask him. But anyway, Dennis Allen's going to have his chance. And when asked about the coaching staff, he had some very, very, very strong answers to indicate that he is going to do exactly what you need to do to win down here. You already have talent. You don't have to micromanage. You have Pete Carmichael calling this offense who was the actual brains with Sean Payton, of course. Carmichael was the offensive coordinator the entire time this offense saw the most wild success the NFL has ever seen. I call him Poindexter. He looks like a nerd. He's a genius. IQ of 500. I don't know. He puts the game plan together, and then Payton would execute the calling of the plays. During the year when suspended, suspended, wow, I always have one of those. Sean Payton was suspended during Bounty Gate. Uh, Carmichael called the plays, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, they gained more yards from scrimmage than any team in NFL history that year, albeit when you're down 17 nothing after every first quarter and you're going to throw it 72 times a game, you're going to move the ball a lot. But he knows what he's doing. And it's funny because Dennis Allen even said, I'm not touching a thing on the offense. Like, we're not even going to touch it. Not to mention they just got a bunch of talent on the offense randomly. Which just, I'm telling you, you need to get over the Saints' eight and a half wins, and we'll talk about that in one second. But a man that admits his mistakes like he did, kind of like Coach O did, I don't think he's going to go through the same pitfall. I don't think he's going to be the general manager yelling at a busser about to open up a table only for someone to come down to yelp your ass to death. I just don't see that happening. I think the Saints are going to be a power. They are 35-1 to to win the Super Bowl. That is worth a look, I'm telling you. And here's the interesting part about the New Orleans Saints. They're eight and a half wins minus 105. They won nine games last year with a lesser team. If you're telling me that without Sean Payton, this team can't go nine and eight, oh, I beg to differ when it comes to that. You already have the defense. Now you're going to have an offense, a healthy quarterback. The line's going to do everything. The Saints will be a force to reckon with. But then to make the playoffs, they're only plus 120. So let me get this straight. They're eight and a half wins, 
but plus 120 to make the playoffs. That makes no sense. Because if they're eight and a half, you're telling me they maybe they're not getting into the playoffs. They should be plus 175, plus 200. But you're basically making even money to go to the playoffs. So that's a little tell right there. I think they messed up with that number. I do think it'll be readjusted. I think the Saints are going to win the NFC South. Now, I'm, I am very serious about that. Very. Uh, I don't think there's much value with the plus 120. I think there's more value with the 8.5. Yeah, they might go 10-7 and seven and not lose a tiebreaker, not go, but they will win more than eight games, uh, believe you me, uh, when it comes to that. And we've gone through the coaching in the locker rooms, right, the GMs in the restaurant, the, the campaign, how you ran a campaign, Hillary and Moog, Donald Trump, and his inability to get out of the trenches, just keep on doing the same stupid-ass stuff that keep resulting in the same exact thing for a really smart guy that is a billionaire, man, it really proves my point that all billionaires are insane, but you see this a lot maybe in your everyday life. And man, you know, when I reflect on some things, God, did I miss the boat on so much. But not just the things that you'd think I'd be saying, well, you're always drunk, you're going to miss a lot. Yeah, I mean, that certainly is going to play. That's going to play, right? If I said no, you should just delete the, you unsubscribe because that would be absurd. But what I'm talking about is, you know, when it comes to your job and your professional life, you know, how do you manage the things that come in front of you? Do you sometimes find yourself getting down in the trenches when you shouldn't be? I could give examples on this for days. And then does that cause a disturbance and kind of a messes up the equilibrium to the finish line for whatever profession you may have? It might, maybe not. I don't know. I know that as a husband, certainly when you try to micromanage, let's not even talk about women, they're going to do it. Death taxes, women micromanage in relationships, right? I mean, everyone knows, okay? I'll have one skid mark on that toilet. I mean, <laughs> you're going, that's just going to happen. You just have to live with that. Uh, and I mean that with in no angst towards women whatsoever, uh, but that's just how they operate. But as a man, we do operate differently. Typically with less emotion, our brains operate you know, the, 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 I'm not going to say this correctly. We have different neurons, but no, we just, our brains operate differently. We're not as emotional. We typically are more reasonable. If you say that out loud, I mean, you might get decapitated these days. I know a lot of unreasonable men that are emotional, trust me. My point is that looking back, you can see even with your wife or your girlfriend, like, how are you managing this, right? Like, I'm not saying pick your battles. Don't worry about the little things. But you have to manage as a husband, you need to be managing these major issues instead of worrying about the third and 13 and the, and the nickelback or the special teams formation. You need to be worrying about the big picture, our second half offense, our halftime adjustments, our game plan on our first possession. Are we scripting 20 plays? Th things like that. The things that matter. The things that are the difference between winning and losing. In some cases, the difference between a successful marriage and a divorce. How do you manage that? Boy, did I manage this wrong. God, I really wish I could get that back. Luckily, it's not gone. But my belt's getting a little deep here. No, I'm not, because I know a lot of people listening to this can still probably take a little something from that. Where there's examples in your life where you don't need to be all the way down there, buddy. All right. And just because you're the husband doesn't mean you're the king of the mountain. But you need to manage things differently. And I, I just look back now and I do things so much differently now and it works. It works. Finally. And then the most important part, even beyond 
the relationship with your spouses, relationship with your, with your children. How, how do you manage that? Those of you that don't have children, well, let me give you some advice. Don't. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm joking. But looking, growing up, I was micromanaged by my parents, so I was the classic rebellious kid that was always in trouble. Uh, you can't do that, but you kind of want to, right? I'm not talking about the 10 o'clock curfew. I just mean the way it's managed in general. I mean, Coach O could learn a little bit from that. What's this kid doing, Cody? <laughs> but, you know, I look at my daughter and some of the things that I have to implement now, like before I just would have started screaming at her and just getting down in the trenches, just, just going crazy, probably drunk and just yelling because she yells and I yell louder. And that, that always fixes everything, right? The best way to win an argument, just talk louder than the other person. It works every time, right? Just scream louder. But now that I've taken these steps back and gotten back up to the top where I need to be, even managing a very unruly four-and-a-half-year-old who's wildly out of control sometimes, and especially flamboyant personality, oh, me, me, I love her, and she's fun. But I was doing this wrong for four years. It's a horrible feeling to to realize, but at least you realize it. And I'm not in the situation where I'm going to get fired I'm going to get divorced. I'm going to lose my child, right? Now, I was on a collision course for all three of those things. Make no mistake. And and inevitably, that was going to happen. Fact. And you may be in a situation right now where that could happen to you in one of the three or all three. I don't know. But it is so important when you manage yourself, your priorities, whether you're a coach in that locker room, no matter what you're doing, has to be managed from the top. Trust the people you hire. And micro your macros, but micro their macros, and you will never, ever, ever have to micromanage micro issues. Has anybody seen Bro Exotic? Are you a white person who wants a lot of credit for helping to create racial equality while you do nothing to help create racial equality? If so, that means you want to be a woke white person. So listen up, because I'm going to give you your PhD in wokeology. Bro Exotic jumps on the sports antelope. He missed last week. He's back this week. What's going on, pal? Uh, what's going on, dude? Bro Exotic. Uh, still tentative vice pope of the Church of Woke. Uh, what's going on, dude? Sick. Oh, nothing. Had a pretty good pretty good rip earlier. You may enjoy it. I don't know if you actually listen to what I do. Most people listen for what you do. So speaking of which, why don't uh, this show needs less of me, more of you. So... You sent me some cryptic text about monkeypox. I have heard uh, this is making its way to the United States. Looks like it's here. And then you went on some rant about it being racist. And you know, all these things. And you kind of cuck, but that's okay. So I'm going to go ahead and just pass this to you. And I'll just interrupt when it gets ridiculous. So just prepare to be interrupted at least five or six times. I don't know. We'll see. Go ahead. Yeah, dude. So, I mean, obviously, just right off the bat, dude, uh, I mean, it, it was discovered in 1958 in Central and Western Africa. And, of course, they aimed at monkeypox, dude. I mean, my woke fury cannot reach a higher level right now. Um, yeah. To say that I'm triggered would be an under uh, an understatement. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty much just uh, – I'm pretty much just engulfed in, in, in raging flames right now, dude. Yeah, I can hear it. Uh, so, like, now it's making a resurgence. So now that we've named this racist virus that only affected Africans at the time, we named it monkeypox. Now it's also uh, becoming homophobic 
just uh, like really affecting the LGBTQQIP2SAA uh, community. I feel and as we- though I feel as though you just made up half of that. Like I, I try to keep up with this, and I feel like you just added. Is that real? Well, uh, oh, you, uh, you just stop with the Q. I forgot, forgot who I'm talking to here. No, yeah. as, uh, as the woke community knows, dude, it's lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer, questioning, intersex, pansexual, two spirit, androgynous, asexual. We all know this. Okay, so it's affecting all of them too, uh, in really bad ways. So we're it's th- this racist virus is just affecting Central and Western Africans and and uh, the LGBTQQIP2SAA community, and now. We're finding that the first cases are in the racist state of Georgia, dude. And now, now I'm just at my wits end, dude. Talking about a state that, uh, w- with voter restrictions, and thank God for MLB Commissioner uh, Rob Manfred, uh, who is in the running for a woke bishop, by the way. Uh, thank huh. we we Great. thank him for his his woke services, uh, and helping, uh, helping us all out by you know taking the all-star game out of Georgia as they should have. Um, so we, we got that going for us, but still the state uh, is for voter uh, restriction, uh, harsh abortion laws, uh, 22 weeks, dude. Are you kidding me? Taking away just about a half of a woman's chance or a choice to get rid of their baby. Cause as we know, pregnancies go on for 40 weeks, 22 weeks. And then we add on Dan Kathy, chairman of Chick-fil-A. Who's not a big fan of the gay community either. I mean, this is ridiculous, dude. And now we get monkeypox over in Georgia. I feel like it's a bit, I feel like Georgia is playing a racist bit right now, dude. Like, all like, yeah, monkeypox. We already know it's a racist virus, so we're just going to have it in our racist state. I'm not having this, dude. I think that they're, I think they're trolling, actually. I don't think that there's monkeypox in Georgia. I think they're trolling big time, dude. <laughs> so, I mean, would you rather have monkeypox in, like, Portland? I, I, I don't – are you saying that it's – you would rather not have it in the states at all? Well, it would be less racist if it was in Vermont where everyone's racially homogenous. <laughs> but, I mean, like, this is just absolutely ridiculous right now, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I see. So the problem is not so much with the virus. It's where the virus chose to allegedly uh, begin its course in the United States. That's the issue with the Church of Woke? Yeah, it's not affecting cis white males up in, uh, up in Vermont. Uh, it's, just, it's affecting uh, the, uh, the black and, and, uh, and gay communities, dude. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to stand for this, dude. I think it's, it's ridiculous. I think uh, Georgia is trolling right now. They're probably forming their own Twitter handle their own state Twitter handle to keep this going. And I'm, I'm just not going to stand for it, dude. Now is this virus and yeah, you know what? Somebody thinks just hit me and I, I know you only have limited time. So I'm just going to keep going with the flow here, but does this virus, is there any studies or any early indication of its, its effect on how do you say pansexual? I don't say it like you do, but are they immune from this or are they also going to be really? Cause that's my favorite of all for some reason. Well, yeah. So it it seems that uh, this uh, virus is it's passed on through uh, sexual fluidity, but not necessarily gender fluidity. So being a pansexual myself, we're pretty gender fluid. So I think I can just flow my way out of that. Got um, it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that makes perfect sense. I just kind of like yeah, how you just flo- yeah. I mean, you floated out of that question. You're missing your calling, man. You should be right there on staff. Uh, Next to the press secretary. Well, I hope that monkeypox can, doesn't continue its racist, um, you know, its its stance here where it's taking on the, the gay community, people of color, and the Church of Woke can't stand this. So hopefully it redirects and gets towards a more, as you said, homogenous 
maybe Vermont. Maybe Boston Dan gets it. Who knows? I, I have no idea. Yeah, dude. I mean, while I'm still uh, – while there's still woke oxygen in my lungs, dude, um, I'm going to keep fighting for it, dude. I'm, I'm not keep gonna... fighting that fight. Who would have yeah. thought monkey fight, pox, fight, dude. a racist and homophobic virus, unlike COVID. Well, no, um, COVID was just a racist virus. Of course. Yes, I'm sorry. Just, just half of that. All right, well, Bro Exotic, you've once again made your point. Driven at home. I hope our audience can take something from this blessing from Mount Sinai that you've bestowed upon us yet once again, bro. So I want to thank you for your time. And next week we want an update on uh, your status in the church of woke. We're I'm getting some, getting some emails. People are asking uh, if you're going to be, you know, back to full blown and not tentative uh, woke. Is it woke? Vice Pope. Vice Pope, yeah. dude. Yeah. yeah. So, so no, I'm definitely making my claim right now by, uh, by making my firm stance uh, against yeah, monkeypox, totally is rebuking your... the racist, homophobic virus that is monkeypox. I think that uh, my firm stance here will uh, will gain favor with the woke pope, and I should. Uh, I'm 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 pretty much you know banking on the fact that I'm going to get my position back. So we'll, we'll yeah, see. I, I, you're you're taking a stand here. I like it. This is your Super Bowl all of a sudden. I mean, jeez, yeah, just woken. I'm just I was I almost said I'm woking hard. I'm working hard uh, to get off my uh, title as woke monk and uh, really trying to get back to that, uh, that vice pope position. Slow and steady wins the race, bro. So just keep it going. But just keep the momentum going. Ratchet up the intensity of misinformation and just keep doing what you're doing and you'll find yourself right back at his feet, my friend. Hopefully so, dude. Uh, I'm just going to uh, keep on uh, fighting the good fight, dude. But uh, all, right. all right, man. <laughs> well, uh, I'll talk to you next week, Belts. Uh, no joke, stay woke and uh, have a good one, dude. <laughs> See you later, man. All right, cheers, dude. God. Thanks for joining the Sports Antidote, episode number 102. Reach out, touch a brother. Tell somebody about the Sports Antidote today and follow us on Instagram at the Sports Antidote. Thanks to Bro Exotic for jumping on the show and talking about this monkeypox insanity. I'm sure Tommy Bench will be on soon enough, but he's out there doing the Lord's work, campaigning for the right side, baby. Remember what I said, though. Take the Saints over eight and a half wins, first and foremost. Take Arizona getting the five and a half week one versus San Diego State. We'll be all over Washington State when they play Idaho and probably Wisconsin in week two. I can't wait for college football. I have the itch. I got a fever. I'm telling you. Don't micro your micros, baby. You just micro those macros, and this will work. I'm your host, Danny Belts, once again. Thanks for joining the Sports Antidote. Keep it real, Antidotions.